0: Well, we are in week six of our John series that we have been walking through. We've been titled The Curtain Goes Up. Um, I I just want to read the text. We're going to make a few points and we're going to be done this morning because I think the text actually preaches itself. It's not like you need me to explain a whole lot of this to you. Uh, We'll we'll make a few points and we're just going to just kind of let it be um, this morning. John chapter three. He's had his... uh, conversation with nicodemus earlier and now these are the words from uh, verse 22 through the end of the chapter after this jesus and his disciples went out into the judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized now john also was baptizing at anon and salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized this was before john was put in prison an argument developed between some of John's disciples John the Baptist and certain and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing they came to John and said to him rabbi that man who is with you on the other side of the jordan the one you testified about look he is baptizing and everyone is going to him to this john replied a person can receive only what is given them from heaven You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. And the one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives a spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever rejects the Son will not see life, For God's wrath remains on them. I don't know about you, but that's more than a mouthful. There's just an interesting little passage in Luke chapter 7 where Jesus is talking about John the Baptist, where Jesus is talking about John the Baptist, and he says these words, I tell you, among those born of women... Among those born of women there is no one greater than John yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he Jesus I tell you among those born of women there is no one greater than John yet the one who is least in the kingdom is greater than he Jesus talking about John the Baptist and and what an amazing person he is that, that no one's greater than him that he is come he's doing his purpose. He's walking in faithfulness to what God's called him to be. And he says, yet, yeah, but the one who decides to be least, the one who lowers himself, the one who walks in faithfulness, then he's even greater than John. And yet John's the greatest one born of women. It's kind of a puzzling text. So who is this guy, John the Baptist? Well, if you'll remember from John chapter one, the uh, the Pharisees sent people to John the Baptist trying to figure out who he Who he was. Verse 19 says, Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him then, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. In other words, he is not going to take on an identity that is not his. He's not going to become something else to move up. You know, we live in a world of upward mobility, where the more we can rise, the more we can elevate ourselves, the better we feel about ourselves. John the Baptist has that opportunity constantly. I mean, he could he could tell them whoever he wanted them to think he was, which in a lot of ways is part of our problem is that we really don't always know who we are or we do know who we are but we don't like who we are and we want to be someone else so we take on a whole other identity. Not that anybody would ever do that in this room. (laughs) And we learn it at a very early age. If you see my five-year-old running around this place, a lot of times she'll have a little dress that will look like either Elsa or Anna. God help us all. It's almost as bad as country music, but it's right, right there, right there. And we, we did that ourselves as kids. I mean, we would be out in the yard playing and you would pretend that you were your favorite athlete or your favorites, whatever, and you would act out in your mind what it would be like to be that person. And and that's what kind of created dreams in people to go and to do some remarkable things. It's not totally a bad thing, but when we try to become what we're not to convince people that's what we are, we live such a duplicitous life in our mind, we lose sight of who God made us to be. And man, does that not create a lot of problems. We see codependent behavior and all other kind of chaos reign when we don't know who we are or we're unsatisfied with who we are when we're unsatisfied with who we are when we we feel like we got the short end of the stick well you know such and such and there but i and, and we talk down about ourselves we We don't elevate the work of God in us. We elevate the lack. Well, God didn't give me what he gave you. Well, God didn't do for me what he... And and then it becomes a point of jealousy or frustration that really can lead to chaos. John the Baptist knows exactly who he is, but he does that by knowing who he's not. Now, I think that's pretty important point for us, to know who we're not. And and knowing who we are is really knowing about what we're for and what God made us for, but it's also knowing what we're not intended to be. We're not intended to be anyone's doormat, anyone's punching bag, or we're not intended to be so subservient to someone it's fine to be humble and to care and to serve because Jesus came to serve, but he always knew who he was and he did it out of his identity of who he was. You, you know, we all, we, we kind of joke, oh, well, she's, she's just a Mary or she's just a Martha. You know, Mary just wants to sit and praise God. Martha wants to go work and just about run her fingers to the bone and, and You know what? There are people that have a genuine Martha spirit that are as healthy as healthy can be. And then there are people that are trying to figure out who they are. If they just serve enough, maybe, maybe, maybe somebody will like them. Maybe somebody will notice. Maybe somebody will praise them. That's not healthy. And and it's great to have that heart of, man, let me step in and serve wherever the opportunity. But it's got to be healthy. Because at some point, by serving out of our emptiness, it's going to break us. It's going to embitter us. It's going to drive us to look and go, hey, God, my sister's lazy. Would you tell her to get off her tail and come help? And Jesus says, look, she just chose to listen and endure. She wants to learn. She wants to grow. She wants to mature. She wants to be. And I'm not going to tell her to go run around in all this busyness and craziness because what you're doing isn't not it its like top of the list. And sometimes we've got to resettle ourselves and realize who we are, but also who we are not. And by the way, just in case there was any confusion about it, none of us are God, though we like to play God in other people's lives. Or sometimes we like to play junior Holy Spirit in other people's lives. Well, you know, I really think God wants you to. I, I, I had a lady when I was a uh, uh, pastoring a a church in West Virginia. She would call me every Monday morning and she had a list of everything she wanted me to do for God. Now, Pastor Craig, if you would just, and I would say, Virginia, I love you. I think that's your list, not my list. (laughs) What are you saying? I'm like, Virginia, we have this conversation every week. You make a pretty incredible list Maybe instead of reading your list off, you need to read your list to yourself. Which, by the way, she didn't like that a whole lot. (laughs) We had a little bit of conflict. You know, she was the matriarch of the church. And I wasn't smart enough to not say those kind of things to her. But to know who we we are. I love how uh, John characterizes exactly who he is in John one twenty three It says, John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet. If you're going to quote somebody, always quote Isaiah because he's as bizarre as John the Baptist. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. What? I am the one calling in the wilderness. Now, I love this passage, and I want to jump into it for just a second and talk about it. Because um, it feeds right into this. And then we're going to go back and look at this conflict and then we'll close. Um, when he says that, he's quoting from Isaiah 40, uh, 3 through 5. It says, the voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. In other words, you lay the stones that God's going to walk through. You are, you're building the road to make it easier for God to be seen, to know, to be heard. It says, Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground should become level, the rugged place, a plain. In other words, Isaiah 40 is a declaration of a construction project that's got to happen. Where where there's valleys, they got to fill them in. Where there are mountains, they got to be knocked down to make it where God can just walk and do what God wants to do. Now, you think, man, God, God doesn't need people to do that. Yeah, God has always sent people. To till the ground, to plant the seed, to water, and then God does what God does. But he He calls us to do what? To prepare the way. I mean, the way we live is a preparation of the way of the Lord in people's lives. The way we live, the way we act towards people, the way we love people, the way we talk to people, the way we serve, the way we think. We either are a door opener or we're a door closer. People that don't know God are either going to be introduced by the way we hold the door open or they're going to get the door slammed in their face because of our lack of grace and our lack of love and our lack. And so Isaiah is saying if God wants to use us to fill in fill in the valleys, okay, let's go do it. If God wants us to 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 be used of him to to level the mountains or to to do whatever it takes to pave the way Now, I know that sounds really strange, but John the Baptist understands that he's been sent for a purpose. And his purpose really isn't necessarily his own thinking. It's, you know, who chooses to come and to live like he lived and do what he did, knowing that he's not going to live much longer. I mean, literally this scene in John is the last time we hear from John the Baptist before he's taken and put in prison by Herod and because he rebuked him for living with uh, his brother's wife, and um, they have head on a platter. In 325 through 26, it says that an argument developed between some of John the Baptist's disciples and a certain Jew over this matter of baptism. Now, you, we can speculate because that's about all we can do with this this passage. But So you got Jesus and his disciples. So John 4, 2 says Jesus didn't baptize anyone. It was his disciples. Can you imagine the conflict that would have caused? People would have hey, I was baptized by Jesus. And then it would have been just, whoosh, you know. Uh, he tells us they were already arguing over who was baptized by Paul and Apollos and Cephas uh, and this and that and the other. But you imagine if somebody would have been able to say, hey, Jesus baptized me. I mean, woo. Benny Hinn would have existed way back then. <laughs> they'd have had cloths, they'd have been selling for three shekels. <laughs> but this argument develops and probably went something like this. So you, you got somebody coming over to to John the Baptist's disciples and go, hey, you know that that guy Jesus? He's over there, his disciples, they're baptizing people, and there are more people over there getting baptized than they are here. Matter of fact, some of the people that come and get baptized here are going over there to them, and now they're following him. What's happening with your ministry? Is it falling apart? Which, you know, if you're that committed to John the Baptist, you're thinking, huh, they're stealing our people. What are they doing? It happens in churches every day. Well, what do they do? Why, why, why is it this? Why is that? And so they go to John the Baptist, and they go, hey, look, whoa, whoa, whoa. We got a problem here. You know that guy you pointed out and said he's the Lamb of God? He's stealing our people. What are we going to do about it? I mean, do we need to go break that thing up? Do we need to start a rumor? Do we need to go drain the water so they can't baptize anybody else? What, What do you want us to do? John replied, verse 27, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that i said i am not the one i am not the christ i am not the one sent from above i'm a child of the earth he's a child from above and if unless you're born again from above we talked about that last week the word anathan You can't see the kingdom of God. And so ultimately, everybody has to move towards Jesus. Everybody has to walk in his way, not mine. I'm just just opening the door for people to know who Jesus is. Can't you just see it? They're having an argument about baptism, and they probably look at him and go, Look, your last name is Baptist. Who knows more about baptism than you do? it's a pretty rough text and then he utters those words he must become greater matter of fact he says in verse 30 that the joy is, is his because of what happened um, he, he is delighting because he knows that he has only been sent to open the door and shine the spotlight on who Jesus is and the fact that people are leaving his ministry and going to Jesus means he's successful Life is about Christ, not about him. And, man, isn't that a hard lesson for us to learn? That life's not about us. Because, hey, we all have our little moment where we want it to be about uno, numero, uno. When's it my turn? When am I going to get noticed? When are people going to, when, when, when? God, why are you, why are you, why are you doing this to me? It's just human nature. But John is here to paint the picture and point the sign to say it's Christ and Christ alone. It's Christ and Christ alone. It's Christ and Christ alone. Man, isn't that? John is saying, he, he is the great I am. And I'm the great I am not. Um, If you look at the Isaiah 40 passage. And the NIV doesn't do this justice. The Isaiah forty-three through five passage. You will see the word Lord several times in that passage. Now, capital L O R D is a little lowercase O R D is the word Adonai, Adonai, kind of a, a an earthly title in a way. But all caps L O R D is the word for Yahweh, the I am. And so he is saying in Isaiah 43 through 5 that he's making a highway for the I am. And there's a great distinction in the Hebrew text of the way they represent and understand God. And those letters that were used for Yahweh because they, they wouldn't speak it and they would leave things out because of their reverence for that name. He, he's saying, I've been, I've been sent to make much of the I am. I've been sent to make much of the I am. And, and that's what John the Baptist is doing. He's saying, I'm, I'm here to point the finger towards the I am. And if he's the I am, then I'm the I am not. And if I'm the I am not, I want to make much of the I am. And ultimately, it's going to come down to what we value. Because we find ourselves in a difficult place at times. We, we find ourselves in a, in a bit of insecurity. And so we begin to value being known and being seen. And being recognized, and and those things in and of themselves aren't totally bad, bad things. I mean, they're it's great to be people to see what we're doing when we're doing it in the name of Jesus. But when we're doing it in the name of ourselves, we're setting ourselves up for failure. And yet, that's a because we feel like we're we're being passed over. We're being passed over. We're being left out. We're being overlooked. To to know who is most valuable. John the Baptist says, it's Jesus and not me. When he's in prison and before his life is taken, he sends those disciples to Jesus and he says, hey, are you the one? And Jesus answers him and says, yes. You, you, you tell John that the deaf hear, the lame walk and the blind see, that, that the Isaiah 61 passage is, is being fulfilled and that was that reminder that he's the I am and I'm not. Now, I don't know if John the Baptist thought that Jesus was going to come miraculously rescue him from prison, which he didn't, by the way. But something tells me from this passage that John the Baptist knew that his time was limited. He was sent for a purpose and he lived out his purpose and then he surrendered to a brutal fate. But he did it because he said, I I'm just coming as a voice, and eventually all voices go silent. And that's a crazy text. But John the Baptist valued the one who is most valuable. Now, it wasn't that he devalued himself, which we tend to end up doing at times because we're not getting recognized, so, well, we must not be worth anything. Well, that may not be as things appear to be. Sometimes we make a big deal, or maybe too big of a deal, out of the small things. And sometimes we don't make a big deal enough out of the right small things. John is looking through a telescope trying to get a perspective of where he is in the grand scheme of this universe. And he realizes he's just a dot on the wall. That he's not the center of the universe, Jesus is. And by having that perspective, it helps him to keep track and to keep living when things aren't going the right way or the thing way he thinks they ought to go. And man, isn't that our struggle? When things aren't going the way we think they ought to go, we want to put ourselves in the center of the universe and go, okay, God, here I am. What are we going to do here? And I think it's in those times that God reminds us. I'm always at work. It may not be the way you think it ought to be, but I actually know what I'm doing. And boy, let's talk about a tough one to surrender to. You mean to tell me all this chaos I'm in and you know what you're doing? Well, all this chaos is because you tried to take it out of my control. All this chaos is because you stepped out and you went your own way. Or all this chaos is is because I'm gonna show people the power that I have in your weakness. I mean, there's all kinds of possibilities, but ultimately it comes back to our ability to pull out the telescope and go, okay, God, you're big. I'm not. You're righteous. I'm not. You're all-powerful. I'm not. You're all-nope. I'm not. And boy, that's a confession. We sang that song earlier that your promises are yes and Amen yes with God may not be sometimes what we think that yes ought to be. But he doesn't make mistakes. He knows. And so here's my question for you as we go to communion today. When you think about that phrase, verse 30, John chapter 3, he must become greater. I must become less. How do you read that? How do you read that? Does that mean that God is an egomaniac? And if life isn't about him, then... Or is God trying to give us a heavy dose of perspective? That when we sit on the throne, it's probably not going to go the way we think it ought to go. For whoever John the Baptist was or wasn't, for whatever he thought or whatever he didn't think, the one thing I think he got that was absolutely right on is to make valuable the one who is most valuable and then let life happen because one way or the other, he has you in his hand. And that seems to be a far better place to live than the other way around. Let's pray. Lord, our hope, our prayer this morning, God, is that we don't lose who you made us to be. But Lord, we find ourselves in you. Lord, that we don't devalue ourselves. We just put into perspective the one who's most valuable, the God of the universe, the great I am, the one who came to set us free, the one who died, not only for the forgiveness of our sins, but Lord to empower us to live in your name. Lord, the great difficulty for you is not getting us to heaven. It's for us to let heaven live in us now so that we can walk by your spirit, be guided by your light and your love. So, Lord, this morning, would you just give us perspective? Could we just find some perspective, Lord, in you? Lord, to see you high and lifted up, exalted. Lord, not that we devalue your creation, but Lord, we just have some right understanding about who is the sovereign. And so, Lord, as we go to communion this morning, meet us here. Lord, as we take the bread and the cup, could we just be reminded yet again that you loved us enough to die for us and you loved us even more to overcome the grave and to pour your spirit out in us. And so, Lord, may we walk by the spirit. May we decrease the so that you can increase in the world. May we be door holders, keeping that door open for people to see Jesus at work in us. We pray that in the name of Jesus.